Hey guys, it's Lucy, and welcome back to Teen Speak Up. We did record an intro, but it accidentally got deleted, so I'm just going to do a little intro right now. Um, Amelia and I recorded an episode a couple weeks ago with Isra Hirsi, and here it is. I hope you enjoy. Love you. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, my name is Isra Hirsi. I'm 16. I'm an 11th grader. Um, I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm the co-founder and executive director of U.S. Youth Climate Strike. Awesome. So I know you're super passionate about environmental justice and climate justice, um, and that's what you're mainly advocating for, or or that's one of the main issues that you do advocate for. Um, But what other social justice issues are you passionate about? I would personally say all. I like to think that I care about a lot of issues or a lot of them I think it's important to, um, you know, fight against all the injustices in the world because there's so many and they impact so many different people. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, from, like, healthcare to immigration to LGBTQ plus rights, I think they're all really important and all deserve to be fought for. For sure. No, I totally agree. Um also to like kind of you know who is another question based on what you said I think that like the environmental justice movement movement is developing um so quickly and it, it's gained such international attention kind of for you what has been the most important part of that rise um that rise in attention I think it's really important that a lot of people are talking about the climate crisis and talking about um the environment only because we do only have one planet and so many people have been suffering for so long. Um, but I do think that there's a reason why um, the climate crisis is being talked about now um, and other issues aren't being talked about as much. For example, like police brutality. Um, and I think it's because these issues have become accepted by certain types of people and other issues have not. Um, for example, people calling Black Lives Matter terrorist groups. Um, but accepting the climate crisis and the environmental justice movement only because it's dominated and run by white individuals. Yeah, for sure. And I think another thing that's so often forgotten is the first climate activists were indigenous youth. Um, and the first climate activists were um, black people from low-income communities. So specifically in terms of youth activism, those were the first kind of um, groups of people um, who spoke out. And I think it's definitely like something that's getting washed out by the media. And that's so frustrating. So I think that's something that needs to be talked about a lot more. And we'll definitely get into that throughout um, the rest of our conversation. But what made you specifically get into activism? And I guess like your rise to activism, that's something that we ask pretty frequently on this podcast, just so we can um, just gain a better understanding of how you got into this whole, um, this, this, I don't know what I'm trying to say. This like, yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I grew up um, with a peri- pretty, like, uh, politically aware family. I remember, like, learning about things like racism and sexism and things like that at a really young age. I went to my first protest um, against a homophobic church at six. Um, so I don't know. I guess, like, activism and advocacy has always been a part of my life. Um, so I guess like I don't really remember a start or I don't really remember the reason. I guess I always wanted to be a change maker. I always wanted to make a change in the world because I knew that 
this world wasn't fair um, and that it was never going to be fair for me. So I felt like it was important to fight for that um, at a pretty young age. Um, but I definitely started organizing by myself as like an organizer. Um, at 14, my freshman year of high school, I organized a walkout against um, or against gun violence um, in February of 2018 after Parkland. Do you think like having a parent who's also in the same environment um, was a big help when it came to wanting to get more involved? I wouldn't say so. Both my parents definitely. I guess it's not it's not just explicit to just my mother, mm-hmm. but to both of my parents. Um, and yes, I'm like obviously both my parents have like been pretty involved, but I guess like I started to do more things on my own. Um, like the older that I got, and yeah. I guess like it was just like it just like it didn't make it easier to like get involved like politics and like attend protests at like in elementary school. But um, I guess it wasn't always explicit to just her. Okay back off of that. I think it's definitely very, very hard to have a parent in the public eye and all of your moves are so compared to everything that she does. Um, so kind of how do you navigate those waters of being like, well, we're our own, we're our separate people, but some of our views like do align. Yeah, I, I definitely is really hard to navigate only because it's so really new. Um, she did get elected like eight months ago, so it hasn't even been a year yet. Um, but a lot of the time, people ask or reporters ask or other folks just ask questions of like, oh, like, were you inspired by her? Oh, like, how did she influence you? In reality, the honest answer is I don't have one. I don't remember. Right, like, I don't really remember, like, the specifics of if she influenced me um, or if she did inspire me. And she talks about how I inspire her. Um, but, like, I don't really have any recollect. Uh, like, just, I don't really remember or, like, have an instance um, like off the top of my head and so most of the time when I tell folks that um, I guess it kind of just like clicks for them um, but like yeah of course we have some more ideals we grew up like I grew up in the same household um, but it's like we're just like two different people who focus on different things we barely even talk about climate when she's in town so yeah yeah no I think that's super interesting so um how do you like I know that um, being an activist comes with a lot of like challenges and obstacles and stuff. Um, there's a lot of there is sometimes a uh, form of like toxicity in within the um, the activist community. And what um, how do you overcome the challenges of being a young activist? I think everything comes with challenges, and I think especially like a lot of people with multiple identities have to deal with that on a daily basis so I think it's more of just like being able like I think everybody should be an activist especially those that are have multiple identities um and are like experiencing oppression because I think it's like your everyday life is a form of activism like you surviving um so I think it's just like pretty much the norm um for some folks um but like also obviously like with there comes like hatred and like people like criticizing you and putting like when you put yourself in the public eye like it's inevitable that people aren't going to agree with you and so most of the time I kind of just like don't think about it um I don't really talk about it at school um everybody like already knows that I'm just that one person that is like the quote-unquote activist at my high school so like it's inevitable I can't really run from it so I kind of just like accepted it as who I am and if people have a problem with it just like deal with it um but it usually doesn't really get to me 
Is yeah, there, I mean, I, oh, go ahead, Lucy. Sorry. <laughs> um, is there a big, I know you're from Minnesota. Um, actually, my good friend Sequoia is from Minnesota as well. Um, I don't know if you know her, <laughs> but um, she's an older activist. She's 22. I love Sequoia. Yeah. Love her so much. <laughs> <It's a> great... <laughs> um, she's visiting New York right now, so it's really great to see her. Anyway, um, is there a big activist community or a big group of kids who are all fighting for similar issues um, where you live? Minnesota was a little bit weird um, before the climate strikes, or I guess like before all of this, there were like kids doing gun violence prevention work. And, but it was like a very small number. A lot of the organizers in Minnesota, in the Twin Cities, are college age um, or older than that. They're all like 18 plus. So most of the time, um, a lot of them, like there's not a lot of us that exist that are like in high school with the climate strike. So we do have an increased number um, of, we do have an increased number of like young people, high school students organizing. Um, but like a few months ago, like it wasn't the case and, and there was like very few, I remember like even being the only people who would like volunteer on campaigns that was like in high school. To, yeah. To kind of add to that, I mean, Minnesota is like a blue state if it's not a swing state. Um, but it definitely like the general, like speaking generally, Minnesota definitely tends to be more centrist kind of, how do you, how do you navigate your progressive values in a centrist environment? So, um, I, Minneapolis is like kind of like, so like Minnesota is really weird where we have like pockets of blue and then everything else is red. So, um, I live in Minneapolis, which is like the biggest city in the state, and it's like pretty progressive. Like, there's a really big left scene here, really big like social democrats. You know, like, there's a lot of progressives that live in the city. So, like, especially the people that I interact with, um, the only centrists I encounter are like the very few at my high school. Um, so, most of the time, I'm around other progressives or leftists or like socialists and things like that. And so, it, it hasn't really been that difficult navigating spaces within like advocacy um as being like a progressive being like um left or leaning only because like spaces are pretty blue here um but when i like go to the suburbs or when i go out of state it's a little bit different um it's kind of like a culture shock because i'm used to you know my very very blue city with my very progressive politics but i do recognize that that's not everywhere and so it's like always really weird to go to different areas where it's not like that yeah for sure um, I mean, Amelia and I both live in New York, and there definitely is a um, more progressive uh, community, but at the same time, there we do run into people who have um, Republican uh, yeah. views and or lean towards one lean lean more towards the Republican side of things, and um, that can be like kind of tricky to have conversations with those people, but at the same time, we're open to having conversations with those people because it's so much more productive when you do have those conversations that might be kind of uncomfortable. Um, and that's just like kind of what we're trying to do here. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I definitely think there's like a general toxicity or view of toxicity within within discussions when it comes to conflict and when it comes to the leftists talking to the conservatives like I think that there's general stigma around that and I think that it's like really really important to break down the stigma um and I was watching the um 
the Greta Thunberg uh, with three other activists um, testifying um, at it was at Congress, I believe. Yes, it was at Congress and the um, Climate Congressional Committee. I might be wrong. Um, but anyway, as soon as this kid who definitely aligned himself with more conservative views spoke, everyone I was with immediately just looked away and immediately just shut off. And I think like that's some kind of, that's definitely like a stigma and there's toxicity within that. And I think also it's like baking, like it's important to like break down those boundaries um, and listen. For sure. Um, so sorry. Um, for the next one, um, if you feel comfortable talking about it, what is your, um, what has been your biggest setback and how did you overcome that? My biggest setback would probably be, um, there's a lot, I think it definitely like doing the work that I don't know, a lot of us do is really hard. Um, I don't know. I guess like one of them would be navigating, like still being like a public high school student while also like organizing, especially like my sophomore year, I was like doing full-time high school. It was really, really difficult. Um, attending school and like going to lobby days and like protests and like whatever, organizing, that was really difficult. Um, on top of that, um, also like doing extracurriculars, like I do um, other things outside of organizing um, because, you know, I think organizing is important, but I also have other things that I care about. Um, and on top of that, like also like being able to like manage like my time, I really suck at time management. And so like trying to figure out how to navigate that while also like organizing has definitely like made my life a little bit harder than it needs to be. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that's that's a big thing. Um, I recently switched over to online school, so I have more time to do um everything I mainly switched over um just because of like social things at school and then also because I wanted more time to do my advocacy work and I wanted more time to like pursue theater and all this other um these other things that I felt like I wasn't being able to do if I was still in public school um and learning how to organize and um just time management is such an important skill but at the same time for a teen girls and boys too um or just people in general um it can be it can be very very tricky yeah definitely it's like been i don't know it's been a struggle but like it's also kind of funny because i kind of do this to myself um like i remember i would like i don't even know my freshman year it was like the same like i like didn't even go to school like i just organized and I would switch to online, but going to high school is the only time I actually, like, have time to interact with my friends. So, like, that's the only social yeah. interaction I have in the day. So, I feel like if I did online, I would just, like, be at home most of the time or be out of state. And so, I want to, like, also, like, then I don't have to be like, I don't know, there's just so much. But then again, public high school also comes with so many other setbacks, especially with organizing. Like, you can't even, like, do walkouts without administration being irritating but yeah yeah also i want to kind of pose another question that's related to environmental justice how do you um practice sustainability in your everyday life because i know that looks very different for everyone i mean i'm vegan lucy it definitely helped like reduces her waste emissions like what does that look like for you 
Yeah, so I try to cut down on meat um, as much as I can. Um, and then on top of that, I really try to like shop sustainably. Um, definitely trying to move away from fast fashion um, and moving more towards sustainable clothing, thrifting, or even handing down to like friends and such. Um, yeah, and then also just like I feel like another way to like look sustainable would be like also spreading the knowledge. I think it's super important to like. While I do think individual action like has some value, I think it's also important to like use the knowledge that like I have to like let people who aren't aware um, know that so they know like how the climate crisis impacts them so that they know how to like switch up their lives in order to like do things like that. Also, um, I take the city bus everywhere. Public transportation is like my only mode of transport right now because that's kind of how we get to school. Um, but yeah, yeah, Lucy, do you want to? answer that too oh yeah um so yeah just like trying to reduce my waste um or trying to reduce waste in general is very very important um I've been trying to get better about using my reusable water bottle um it's just like this huge like heavy thing and I know it's like I I need to just like get my shit together and just use it but like (laughs) um I don't know that's something that I'm working on also uh just having a more plant-based diet um I want to go I want to slowly go into being a vegetarian um I'm probably just gonna and then veganism. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> possibly we'll see my I need iron so uh, we'll see about that um <laughs> uh so just like going from I eat meat so maybe going from eating less red meat into a pescatarian into a vegetarian then possibly vegan depending on how much meat and iron I'm getting um but yeah sorry my notification I'm so sorry (laughs) also just taking public transportation um the subway in New York is probably not the best for the environment but it's better than using a car um yeah (laughs) I don't know Amelia I mean I like, I also live in New York City. I bike to school in the mornings, um, which is, like, something for me. Like, I don't work out. Like, <laughs> I just, like, don't I, don't... I don't exercise. So, for me, like, biking in school in the mornings is, like, a really great way um, to kind of, like, reduce my impact um, and my carbon footprint on the environment. But also just, like, do things for me that makes my body feel good. And I definitely recommend biking, especially for people who live in cities. Definitely something that, like... Um, needs to become a bigger thing because it's awesome um, and affordable. And then, um, like, if I'm going further distances, I'll, like, take the subway. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, um, biking is really great. Um, it's also really good for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you have that... I know biking is also not extremely accessible to everyone because bikes are, like, really, really expensive, but... If you do have that um, option, it's very important to... City bike plans, though, are cheaper than subway plans. That's so, true. So, like, if you... I don't know. They're, like, they're definitely ways to budget yourself, and I think that there's a common misconception that living sustainability is extremely expensive, or being vegetarian or vegan is, is extremely expensive, and I definitely think that there are um, apparent accessibility problems with plant 
plant-based diets and also just like living, living sustainably can be expensive, but generally it isn't. Um, there are definitely ways to like go to your local farmer's market and get food for, from affordable prices. Um, and beans are really cheap and so is tofu. And you can get like a really great bike membership for like $12 a year. Like they're definitely like things that, um, that work out and I definitely think that like sustainability is something that is accessible not to everyone um but I definitely think that it it, it's not as hard as people make it seem yeah on top of that um like a lot of low-income people already live pretty sustainable lives especially like taking public transportation and you know reusing items that they that's just like how they live um but I do think that um while I do think like plant-based size can be a little bit more harder for people especially those that live in um food deserts um in rural communities and things like that because they don't have access to things at farms markets um but I do think that those that do have the ability to should definitely do um and I think that making those um systems and those things more accessible is definitely how we can um live healthier lives um as well as more sustainable lives yeah for sure um so going into the next question um what does an average day for you look like that is a hard question because it <laughs> varies um i'm just gonna choose a day in the week okay i'll choose tuesday so i'll explain tuesdays um <laughs> Essentially, I so I do half college, half high school. Um, awesome. So, Santa Minnesota has this thing called post secondary education options where you're like enrolled as a college student, um, but you are still enrolled as a high school student. So, I attend college um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, I go to my college classes and then I go to high school for three periods. Um, and that's like my school life. And then I have to go to like extracurriculars. So, I go to like this like after school, like social justice group and I have debate um and then um I pretty much just like do calls um and like respond to emails and things like that until it gets pretty late on top of like homework um as well as like babysitting I usually babysit my sister um when she's like home after school just because it's just easier my parents work pretty busy lot um pretty busy jobs um so yeah I guess like just like a lot of calls and emails and babysitting yeah yeah I can totally relate actually (laughs) um just lots of school um I get up I get up at six and I finish at 12 um and then I just spend the rest of the day um answering emails on calls or whatever um and then I work just like babysitting all like till six or seven and I might have like meetings throughout the week or events or something, but yeah. What about you, Amelia? Yeah. So for me, I get up at like seven thirty in the morning, bike to school, walk to school if it's like rainy or wintry or whatever, and the roads are gross and slippery. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I do school. My my school is actually very interesting. We have like we have very different schedules throughout. Like we have very different schedules each day. So on Monday, my day starts at nine twenty five, but it ends at four fifteen. And on Tuesday, my day starts at 
10.25, but ends at 6 o'clock. So my days, like an average day for me, um, my most normal day is Wednesday. It starts at 8.35, ends at 4.15. Um, so like my days really vary. Um, and I do a lot of like extracurricular stuff. I do mock trial. I do debate. Um, I'm, I'm part of like multiple social justice groups. Um, I do like Hebrew school, just like a bunch of stuff like that. And yeah, and then like also like going home and doing homework is like a very big part of my day. And also yeah. like like as Esther said, like I'm like time management is like not the easiest thing for me. So like it's also like kind of me like trying to navigate that. Um, but yeah, that's like a normal day for me. Yeah, no, that's so interesting to like hear about each other's days. I don't know. I'm always interested in. <laughs> hearing what uh, people's schedules are and stuff. I don't know, getting a sneak peek into their lives. is kind of cool. <laughs> um, so Amelia, I'm going to ask the next one. Um, so what is one flaw um, about the environmental justice community and how do you think it can be fixed? I think the one flaw is um, the amount of white activists being like, like taking up a lot of space or like being uplifted um and the i guess like erasure of like frontline youth especially the people that are being directly impacted right now and a lot of like false credit um that is being like moved away from like indigenous communities especially like when pipelines are still happening and resistance is still in existence like i think the fact that we talk a lot about like the climate crisis but we don't even talk about um, pipeline resistance anymore. We don't talk about um, how to like protect communities from like the Caribbean or from like the South, like in the global South is kind of a problem because it's just become really white dominated and like talking about things like reusable straws um, when that just should not be our priority. So yeah. Yeah, no, um, I totally yeah. agree. And also, I mean, I'm writing a paper right now for my environmental science class about this nuclear waste policy act and um it's really really taught me that throughout history this is not this is not something that's happened right now white voices have always um uh, and privileged voices i should say have always been centered um in discussions about um climate justice and indigenous communities and low-income communities and those whose voices are more subjugated have always been pushed aside this is not something that's new this is something that has been historically evident kind of in the institutions and systems um, of our country and what i uh, what i just wrote, really wrote my paper about was in 1982 when the new or sorry in 1987 when ronald reagan was kind of and then Cong in congress was kind of finalizing their uh, uh, their draft of the Nuclear Waste Policy Act, they had 10 different places um, that, oh, sorry, no, this is in 1982, they had 10 different places where they could put this nuclear waste facility. Um, it was, the election was about to happen in three months, so they could not put it in any of these, any of these areas that are majority white and wealthy, um, because they would, that would not be politically attractive. Um, so they put it in an indigenous community in Nevada and displaced thousands of indigenous people um, and also violated a law um, that 
allows indigenous communities to have rightful um, rightful control of their land. And so this is also not something that's new. This is this really has a past and has a history. And right now we need to break that down. We need to educate ourselves um, and kind of learn to un- or learn, unlearn that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also just like going off of that um it's really it's really really important to center the discussions like amelia said this to me the other day that just um centering the discussions about like we should be centering those discussions around the people that are actually affected and people like me or the kids that live in my neighborhood or um, several other neighborhoods in um new york or anywhere um that live in middle class and wealthier neighborhoods don't struggle with climate change as much but people that are living in uh, um people that are living in inner city communities my brain um people that are living in these inner city communities are much more affected and are affected much more sorry that's not proper english um <laughs> are they are affected much more than I and just like think about Hurricane Katrina like people over 1800 people died from drowning or several several other effects and and like heat waves people can the people that can't afford um air conditioning are like having heat strokes and like being severely affected from those things and I don't have to struggle with that because my family can um, can afford uh, air conditioning, and I'm so incredibly grateful for that. But this this entire movement should not be surround um, should not be centered around people like me and my and my friends. They should be centered around or some of my friends. They should be centered around those that are struggling. And I think that just like after going to the strike, just seeing how many white um, white individuals versus people of color up on the stage at the rally. I was just a little frustrated about that. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just going to say that I agree. Um, and, you know, it's like not a surprise that like the government and like, these cities and like these places are just like allowing these to happen. And also like we think it's subconsciously, but it's like very, very um, like you can like see it happening. You know, like gentrification is a way in which you push these communities, these areas and like force pollution onto them and then you're just like uh oh like sorry that your like asthma rates are increasing like that's unfortunate um and now these communities are just like suffering and we just allow it to happen and that's not okay yeah and also i want to add another thing that happened um at the i i think it was at the end of the summer of 2018 um the new york like power plants that control the electricity throughout um all the five boroughs in new york city um they were getting overloaded and they had to shut down one area um and they had to turn off one part of the power plant. So obviously they chose Brownsville, which is a majority black low income community. So, and also the people in that community, they needed the power the most, or that, yeah, they needed the electricity the most. Um, so all of the power was shut down and they, and obviously they did it um, because of environmental racism. They did it because of these systems that are in place. And also if they had done it to these um these you know high-income white communities they would have 
had there would have been massive lawsuits against the government. So there's also there's so there's so much there's so many layers of it. Um, and I think that like the government does whatever it can it can do to systematically oppress and kind of dodge all the ways that it could get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like while I love Greta so so much, um, she was chosen by the media. And um, she was chosen to be the face of the climate, um, the, the climate justice movement. And I just think that's kind of screwed up. And like, she is incredibly educated, like love that girl to death. But at the same time, the people that should be um, highlighted are those that are affected a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have anything more to add or should we move on to the next question? Nothing more, or <laughs> I think you're muted. I don't know if that's her telling us that we're that she's good. She doesn't have any more to add, or she just okay, yeah. What? Okay. Okay. Sorry, um, Amelia. Do you want to ask the next one? I'm not sure if I. Oh no, you asked. You asked the last one, right? Yeah. Okay. So, how can environmental activists do more? I think that conversation about uplifting frontline youth um, definitely is one thing. Talking about, I don't know, pipeline resistance is another thing. Um, as well as, like, I feel like we should move the shift between, like, move the shift from individual action into holding corporations accountable because I'm pretty sure it's like 100 companies that are responsible for like 70% of the crisis, which is an insane, like, like, that's such a small like number of companies responsible for like people dying um and so i think like making sure that like, we do actions towards taking like holding those companies responsible rather than like holding individuals accountable like we shouldn't be blaming like a low-income person for not like recycling um because like, that should be our priority like we should be yelling at amazon because of the uh, amount of like shit that they're doing and how horrible it is and I think that that's what we need to like move our focus a little bit towards um but yeah for sure yeah no I totally agree with you um did you go to the UN uh summit yes how was that if you want to debrief off of that yeah sure so the UN Youth Climate Summit was a very interesting experience. Um, a lot of the youth there were a lot older than you would expect, like 25 plus um, or something like that, like pretty old youth. And there was a lot of old folks there too, like middle-aged and older. Um, and the young people that did attend were people, you know, from U.S. like groups that like I already am like well aware of. So I was expecting to meet some international young people under 18, but I don't think that their visas were approved. So I don't think they had the um, ability to come into the United States, which is really unfortunate. And on top of that, a lot of the summit, a lot of the workshops like in the summit were really information that wasn't useful. A lot of it was centered around like corporations Mm -hmm. like Microsoft and like Nike. Um, and on top of that, uh, we talk a lot about social media and like how to make viral videos and how to increase your social media presence, which I think is a little bit uh, not useful, especially when we could have been, I don't know, thinking of solutions 
you know, for the actual UN General Assembly that's um, on Monday. Um, exactly. But, yeah. But yeah, it was really interesting. And we were actually not treated really well either. I heard, they, I heard yeah. <laughs> yeah. They attempted to not allow uh, allow us, the ones under 18 or the actual youth, they like attempted to not allow us into the spaces um, and try to invalidate our like passes that we had, even though they were valid and we all were into the, um, we all were allowed into the space um, because we all got invited. Um, so the thing about it was they gave our chaperones all access passes, but we didn't get them. So in order to get them, we had to like be with our chaperone at all times. But the problem was, um, even when we were with our chaperones, we still were really hesitant to allow us in the space. So it was a little frustrating. Um, there's a lot of tokenization of us too. A lot of adults came by with cameras and like pictures and like all those things. Took a lot of photos without asking for our permission, things like that. And so it was just like really kind of uncomfortable, but at yeah. least it was good to see all the people in the climate coalition um, in real life again. Yeah, no, that's, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. That's really, that's really fucked up. Um, we're, I'm so hesitant with cursing because my mom listens to this podcast, but I really don't care, mom. <laughs> um, anyway, I don't know, just the social media thing, especially like that's cool that it comes along with the whole um, advocacy environment, like how people are following you and you're gaining all this like, exposure and stuff that's cool but that's not what it's about and that's what really really frustrates me because I see all of these kids like I know this this girl who I'm not gonna say her name of course um but I know this girl who was like doing things for the wrong reason and it's just not not what you should be doing you shouldn't be doing this for the followers you should be doing this because you actually care about the issues you're advocating for um yeah (laughs) Um, so for our very last question, Amelia, do you want to ask that? Um, so what advice would you give to other teen activists wanting to get involved and kind of wanting to get started on their journey of social justice work? I think the best thing that somebody can do is get involved locally, look for local groups. Um, if not start one at your high school, if, um, things like that. Um, I think I, I talk about education a lot, but I think education is really important. Um, educating like yourself to the best of your ability and using that knowledge to educate others um, is a form of activism. Um, and then from there, I would also say like, um, yeah, so like doing local organizing and then try to get plugged in to national groups if you have that ability. Um, activism is definitely, I think, hopefully going to get a little more accessible because I know that a lot of us criticize that. Because it needs to be a lot more accessible, um, but I think look, uh, starting with your own community is the best thing that somebody can do, and I think that's also one of the easier things people can do. For sure, um, if you live in the New York area and you specifically want to get involved with the um, environmentalist um, community, you can go to fff.nyc, and in the the link in the bio has a bunch of um, resources and. They have weekly meetings on Wednesdays, um, and they're really fun and interesting, very informative. So, uh, yeah, if you live in the New York area, definitely um, show up. And yeah, I mean, uh, is there, do you want to? Sorry, yeah. Um, do you want to give more information um, 
or how people can get specifically involved with U.S. climate strike if that's like an option. If not, that's totally cool. Yeah, um, one of some say they love FFF New York City. They're all such great organizers. Um, two, um, USC's climate strike is um, so we uh, you can just DM us on Instagram at US Climate Strike to get involved. We can plug you in um, with your state um, or your city, depending on where you're from. Um, and I think that's the best way right now. We are working on form and things like that. We're currently in restructuring period, but yeah, I think just DMing us, um, and we can get you connected. Awesome. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. We had so much fun talking to you. Um, yeah, if you're ever in New York, it'd be great to meet up with you and do something that would be super cool. Um, yeah, uh, good luck on all your activist endeavors. I will, um, if you want to plug anything, go for it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything to plug besides, um, I don't know, follow us at US Climate Strike on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, yeah, and I guess um, thank you for having me. Of course. On the last podcast, it's been fun. Yes, it really has. <laughs> yeah, have a great night. We- I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Please comment down below or leave a review. Sorry, this isn't a YouTube video. What am I saying? Please leave a review and rate the podcast and subscribe so you guys can be notified every time we upload an episode. Love you all. Um, follow us on Instagram at TeenSpeakUp. Follow me on Instagram at I Love Lucy Ivy. Amelia is Amelia GCO. And, um,. I think it's Amelia TCO. I might be completely butchering that, but I will link everything down below, and then I will also link Isra's stuff below as long as well as um, U.S. Climate Strike. Okay, peace out.